It's quite a daunting thing. We come together around God's word. Uh, we, we devote a lot of time to that, a lot of time today to that. <laughs> and there was a point in history hundreds of years ago when uh, a prophet wrote these words. He wrote, The Spirit of the Sovereign Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favour. And then 2,000 years ago, a man walked into church on a Sunday morning, read that out loud and said, actually, that's all about me, sat down, and that was it. I'm afraid that this sermon is going to be longer than that. But we want to know the same presence of God with us. We want to know the same Lord Jesus. So let's just pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the Lord Jesus who walked into history 2,000 years ago and could say that those words were about him and that they were fulfilled in the hearing of those people. We pray, Lord Jesus, that you will be present with us by your spirit this morning so that we will know the sovereign Lord. I'm not even going to comment about the slides because uh, there's been so much uh, competition. Uh, I've gone back to boring PowerPoint. Uh, but we have been looking at a series of uh, talks on our magnificent Jesus, where we, where we want to big Jesus up. We want to proclaim him in all his glory. Uh, we're not doing very well at that, uh, but we've been looking at various aspects, prophet, priest, king of kings, servant, lord, healer, saviour, why did he die? And last week we looked at the resurrection. This week I was given the title Ascended and Exalted. And next week we're going to be looking at returning. Uh, there is a spelling mistake on the slide, which we'll come to in a minute. But we've been looking at this whole subject of Jesus. And it's, it's very difficult, actually, when you've got a theme, uh, to not go to the whole Bible. Tim actually went uh, a few weeks ago from Revelation back to Genesis and back again, pretty much. In, in, in the whole, and we're going to do pretty much the same thing. It's just as well because Paul said to Timothy, devote yourself to the public reading of Scripture. So there's going to be a lot of Scripture today. That is the bit that you can trust. That's the bit that's infallible. Uh, the rest is going to be me. Just some definitions, just to show that we are fallible. Um, neither Nigel, Steve, or I actually knew the difference between exalt and exalt. Uh, so there are some definitions. Today, I am going to exhort you to exalt the Lord Jesus and to exalt in him as ascended and exalted. That's a short sermon title. I'm going to exhort you to exalt Jesus and exalt in him. When we say exalt with an A, we mean to lift up, to raise, to elevate. Um, when we say exalt, we mean uh, be joyful. Okay, so I'm going to encourage you and me <laughs> this morning to exalt, to rejoice in the Lord Jesus, but also to lift him up together, to exalt him as he is ascended and exalted. Have you got that? You're with me still? Good. Right. So, Jesus ascended and exalted. Let's read about the ascension of Jesus. Acts chapter 1, verse 1 to 11. In the first book, O Theophilus, 
I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day when he was taken up, after he had given commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen. To them he presented himself alive after his suffering by many proofs, appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. And while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you heard from me, for John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom of Israel? He said to them, it's not for you to know the times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And when he said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up. And a cloud took him out of their sight. And while they were gazing into heaven, as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes and said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus, who was taken up from you into heaven, will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. In Luke 24, 50 to 55, 53 he says then he led them out as far as bethany and lifting up his hands he blessed them while he blessed them he parted from them and was carried up into heaven and they worshipped him and returned to jerusalem with great joy and were continually in the temple blessing god and in mark 16 as another story of the ascension so then the lord jesus after he'd spoken to them was taken up into heaven and sat down at the right hand of god And they went out and preached everywhere, while the Lord worked with them and confirmed the message message by accompanying signs. So what does ascended mean? Uh, It means to to go up, doesn't it? I think one of the definitions was even rocket up. Um, But the big thing is that Jesus has gone. One minute he's there, the next minute he's not there. But he's not vanished They saw him go. He didn't just disappear in a puff of smoke. He was going up and then he was obscured from their sight. Uh, If the cloud hadn't come, they would have still seen him, wouldn't they? He's not gone to some ethereal new sense of being where he just wafts around like a spirit all over the place. He has a human body. He is the God-man He's still the God-man. There is a place in God's creation, in God's universe today where the Lord Jesus is. He has gone to a place. He has gone to a place. He's alive today. Jesus has a body, a human body today. Uh, God is omnipresent, but the Lord Jesus is in a place. He is somewhere. He's not here, but he's there. He's gone to another place. Uh, Does anyone know who this guy is? That's very good. I I wouldn't think you'd recognize him. I thought you'd recognize him like that, but not like that. Yes, that's Yuri Gagarin. Uh, What's he famous for? The first man in space. And when he got to space, he said... What beauty 
I saw clouds and their light shadows on the distant dear earth. The water looked like darkish, slightly glimmering spots. When I watched the horizon, I saw the abrupt contrasting transition from the earth's light-colored surface to the absolutely black sky. I enjoyed the rich color spectrum of the earth. It is surrounded by a blue light that gradually darkens, becoming turquoise, dark blue, violet, and finally coal black. So he goes up into space and he sees this amazing thing. And does he praise God? No. He came back and he said, I looked and I looked, but I didn't see God. Is that where Jesus has gone? Up into space? Why couldn't Yuri Gagarin see God when he went into space? Is that where heaven... See, there's a confusion, isn't there? The the Bible talks about the heavens as the sky. The stars, the sun and the moon, that's the heavens. But it also talks about heaven as the place where God dwells. And so Yuri Gagarin is a bit confused because he thinks he can disprove the existence of God just by going up a few hundred miles and having a look round. <laughs> well, um, Yuri Gagarin, it, it was... It, <laughs> Yes, if he'd taken his space suit off, he would. And actually, the sad thing is, three years later, he did. Uh, he was killed in an accident three years later. Um, so, uh, yeah, he now knows differently. Um, and we can hope. There's not much evidence but that, that it wasn't too late. We cannot see God. We cannot see heaven um, Wayne Grudem says, our eyes are unable to see the unseen spiritual world that exists all around us. Now, we're going to have a quick look through the Bible to see that the kingdom of heaven is actually very close. When Paul went to, to Athens, he actually said that God is not far from any one of us. I don't know if you remember, this is where we do the Tim thing, uh, in Genesis, in the garden... Um, Adam and Eve fall and they are kicked out of the garden and what does God do? There's a gateway back into the garden and it's blocked and it's blocked by heavenly beings by cherubim and a flashing sword it's a gateway to paradise guarded by heavenly beings you can't go in there and we couldn't find that place today could we? I'm sure Indiana Jones would love to but uh, it's, it's, a, it's a bit like, isn't it? A bit like Narnia and the, the wardrobe. If you could just find that place, you could step in. Or Stargate or something like that. Um, but, but heaven isn't another galaxy away. Uh, helix, heaven is very near. Uh, we just can't see. Heaven is nearby. One day we will see. Uh, John in Revelation, now we've gone Genesis to Revelation. John says he saw the new heaven coming down. The city coming down from the heaven. Um, I don't know if you've ever been to a museum uh, like the one in Liverpool. What they have is a display of honeybees um, in, a, in a darkened room. There's a, there's a sheet of glass between you and the hive. Uh, the bees don't know you're there. Uh, they can't see you, but you can see them. Uh, you're very near to them. Uh, You can see them, they can't see you. Heaven is a bit like that. It's very near at hand. 
So when Jesus ascends into heaven and a cloud hides him, he hasn't gone very far, but he has gone and he's not here. There have been other times in history when heaven has broken in. Uh, Think of Jacob and his dream. He's running away from Esau and he he lies down at a place, he sets a stone and he uses it as a pillow and then he dreams a dream and he sees a ladder going up to heaven. Now when he wakes up, it isn't, oh, that was just a dream. It's very significant to Jacob. He said, this is the house of God. That place, Bethel, became very important as almost as a gateway to heaven in his mind. And then think of Elijah as he is about to hand off his work to Elisha. He's been told he's going to go. And Elisha sees these chariots of fire come and whisk Elijah up. And Elijah's mantle falls on Elisha, literally and figuratively. Uh, But he's carried away out of sight that's in 2 Kings, chapter 2. There's a question for any children left in the room, or adults who think they're still children. Um, what is between platforms 9 and 10 at King's Cross Station? No. There's another platform. What's Platform 9 and 3 quarters is between platforms 9 and 10. You can't see it uh, because you're a muggle. But Harry Potter is not a muggle. And if you run very, very quickly at the wall between 9 and 10, I, you know, why not try it? <laughs> you will find you're in a new magical land. Well, it's a bit like that, but not very much. Well, think about that time when Elisha, the one on whom the mantle fell, is fleeing from the Syrians, and he goes to a city called Dothan, and he's got a, a, a servant with him, and they're, 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 they're sort of camped in the city, and then the Syrians come and surround them, and they think, well, this is it. We're, we're toast. There's a siege around the whole of Dothan. And uh, let's just read this. So, 2 Kings chapter 6, verse 15. When the servant of the man of God rose early in the morning and went out, behold, an army with horses and chariots was all around the city. And the servant said, Alas, my master, what shall we do? He said, Do not be afraid, for those who are with us are more than those who are with them. Then Elisha prayed and said, O Lord, please open his eyes that he may see. So the Lord opened the eyes of the young man and he saw... And behold, the mountain was full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha. And there have been stories of of that sort of thing actually happening in the modern day. Uh, Missionaries who were in a tight spot who thought they were going to be killed. Um, And and, uh, they're they're surrounded by a mob. And then the mob disperses. And then... uh, Somebody asked the question, well, why did you leave? And, well, it was, did you not see the, uh, the, the soldiers on the roof? And there were no soldiers on the roof. Uh, so heaven can be, the heavenly kingdom can be very close. Uh, you just need eyes, eyes to see it. Okay, let's uh, just hear what Jesus says um, to Nicodemus. He says, Unless someone is born again, 
He cannot see the kingdom of God. I'm not saying that's all that that text is about, but it's, it's a helpful thing that unless you're born again, unless you're in a right relationship with God, you cannot see the kingdom of heaven. Let's go to Isaiah, very famous passage, and let's just read Isaiah 6, 1 to 5. I'm not going to put it on the screen, sorry. You can have Yuri Gagarin. Isaiah 6, 1 to 5. You know this very well anyway. In the year that King Isaiah died, I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him stood the seraphim. Each had six wings. With two he covered his face, with two he covered his feet, and with two he flew. And one called to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the foundations of the thresholds shook at the voice of him who called, and the house was filled with smoke. And I said, Woe is me, for I am lost, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips, and my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Where, where is Isaiah when this happens? Read the text. <laughs> He's in the temple. Yeah? He sees the train of God fill the temple, doesn't he? He's in the temple. He's somewhere on earth. He could almost be in this room. And there's an encounter with the Lord of hosts. He sees the Lord. The veil is taken away and he sees into heaven. He sees the Lord. But there's another intriguing thing he says about where the glory of the Lord is. Where is the glory of the Lord. The whole earth is full of his glory. Is that apparent to everyone? No. There's a, there's a hymn, isn't there? I should have written it down because I'm going to forget it now. But it says that uh, heaven above is softer blue, earth below is sweeter green, something lives in every hue, Christless eyes have never seen. Uh, as the people of God, we should see the glory of God everywhere. We might not see into heaven everywhere, but we should see the glory of God everywhere. So much for alignment. <laughs> but before the ascension, heaven is where Jesus is from. After the ascension, heaven is where Jesus is. So, before the ascension, heaven is where Jesus is from. Mark chapter 1, 9 to 11. In those days, Jesus came from Nazareth of Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. And when Jesus came up out of the water, immediately John saw that the heavens opened and the Spirit descending on Jesus like a dove. And a voice came from heaven you are my beloved son, with you I am well pleased. So John has this amazing experience. God tells him that he's going to see the Spirit of God descend on the one. And there's a moment in, in history 
where that happens, where John the Baptist sees the Spirit descend, like a, and he hears a voice. But it's a place where, where Jesus is from. This is my son. This is my son. With you, I am well pleased. And then later on in Mark, uh, there's the transfiguration in Mark chapter 9. Um, I'll read it again, Mark chapter 9, 2 to 8. After six days, Jesus took with him Peter and James and John and led them up a high mountain by themselves, and he was transfigured before them. And his clothes became radiant, intensely white, as no one on earth could bleach them. And there appeared to them Elijah with Moses. And they were talking with Jesus. And Peter said to Jesus, Rabbi, it's good that we're here. Let's make three tents, uh, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. He didn't know what to say, for they were terrified. And a cloud overshadowed them, and a voice came out of the cloud. This is my beloved son. Listen to him. And suddenly, looking around, they no longer saw anyone with them but Jesus only. It's another heavenly encounter, isn't it? And there's a cloud that does some obscuring. Very similar, isn't it, to to the ascension of Jesus. Uh, There's Elijah. Well, we've seen him disappear up into heaven. And here he is, down from heaven on a mountain again. And then a cloud hides him again. Does does it end, and it was all a dream? No. (laughs) It's a real thing that happened in history. After the ascension, heaven is where Jesus is. You might remember the story of, um, sometimes called the story of the first martyr, Stephen, in Acts chapter 7. And just as he's coming to the end of his speech, he says, full of the Holy Spirit, gazing into heaven, seeing the glory of God, and sees Jesus standing at the right hand of God and said, Behold, I see the heavens opened and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. Stephen, just before he dies, sees heaven opened and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. Or there's Paul, isn't there, who was there looking after the coats while Stephen was being stoned to death. Paul, just a couple of chapters on, Acts chapter 9, He's on his journey to go and persecute some more Christians somewhere else. And he has this dramatic encounter with the Lord Jesus. Heaven's open and he sees something as a bright light. It's so bright that he's blinded. In fact, something has to fall from his eyes after this has happened. And and then he still doesn't see for some time. I don't know if you've ever seen the film The Matrix. Uh, There's a moment where Neo, who's been living in this virtual world all his life, is rescued and brought into the real world, unplugged from the system. And uh, he opens his eyes for the first time, and he says, why do my eyes hurt? And the answer is, because you've never used them before. He spent all of his time in a virtual world. And yet, and when, when Paul sees the Lord Jesus, there's a sense that his eyes hurt because he's never seen Jesus before. And there's such a dramatic encounter with the Lord Jesus, and we know how that changes him. And then, uh, one more. Think of how John, on an island one day, on a Sunday morning, 
or on a Sunday anyway, um, begins his revelation uh, with the, the fact that he's there and he turns to see the voice of one who's speaking to him. And on turning, I saw seven gold lampstands and in the midst of the lampstands, one like a son of man, clothed with a long robe and with a golden sash around his chest. The hairs of his head were white like wool. And so on. And when I saw him, I fell at his feet. So Jesus has gone when he's ascended, but he's gone to another place. He's gone to heaven. It's a real place. He's a real man. It's not up there. It's not pie in the sky. It's not the sort of thing that Yuri Gagarin could see. It's just here, actually. Nigel showed us last week. Over here, there is a curtain. I'll just open it. Angels. Did you see that last week? It's here. It's that close. The kingdom of heaven is that close. It's where Jesus is. It breaks into our world, not just in Bible times, but now. Okay, so moving swiftly on. Jesus has gone for a number of reasons. We're not going to deal with them all, and we're not going to deal with them in any order of merit, but we're going to deal with them in an order that's going to help us this morning. He's gone to prepare a place for his people in heaven. John chapter 14, verse 1. You should know this. It's very well known. Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I'd go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself, that where I am, you may be also. Okay, who went to Kevin Lee? Who stayed in one of the nice new chalets? Oh, oh, oh. Some, some of us got the opportunity to go and see those being built just a few weeks before, actually. It wasn't that long before. We went and had a look round, and we saw well, they'll, never, they'll never be ready in time. You know how slowly things happen at Kevin Lee. And, uh, but they were. Um, so when Jesus says he's going to prepare a place for us, does he mean he's off? He's a carpenter, after all. Is, is, is he putting up studded walls in heaven to prepare many rooms for us? Is he painting and decorating? Uh, is he rearranging the furniture? Is that what he means? That's my job later. That's, <laughs> 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 That's right. <laughs> now when Jesus talks about going, uh, in fact, if you look through John, you'll see the whole theme of departure and going. Uh, it isn't just about when Jesus ascends. It's about when Jesus goes to the cross and then to rise again and then to ascend. You have to see those three things as linked together. They are a sequence of events that have to happen to Jesus. He has to die, he has to rise again, and he has to ascend. That is what John, when John says about Jesus going or departing or talking about his departure, 
It's about Jesus going to the cross, rising from the dead, and ascending to the right hand of the Father. So when Jesus says, I'm going to prepare a place for you, he says it before the cross. And a large part of his preparing a place for you is at the cross. It's also when he rises from the dead, and it's also when he ascends into heaven. You just need to get that clear. But Jesus does go to heaven as part of preparing a place for us. Jesus knew uh, when he was going to go. And he actually says in John 13, 1-4, Now before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart out of this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. During supper, when the devil had already put into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands and that he had come from God and was going back to God, rose from supper. He laid aside his outer garments and, taking a towel, tied it around his waist. John, John 14 and 16 are also full of this departure language. Even to the point after the, the time in the upper room, he says, let us go. And there's a, there's a real weight to the way that John says that. When Jesus says, let us go, that's, we're off. This is the departure. So in John, departure means death, resurrection, and ascension as a package. And going to a prepare a place has to be seen that way. Jesus has gone to heaven to pour out the Holy Spirit. In John 7... John, uh, the baptizer, we hear again, John bore witness, I saw the Spirit descend from heaven like a dove, and it remained on him. I myself did not know him, but he who sent me to baptize with water said to me, he on whom you see the Spirit descend and remain, he is the one who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. We're just left wondering when that's going to be. It doesn't seem to happen in the story. Then rather helpfully, later on in John chapter 7, verse 37 On the last day of the feast, the great day, Jesus stood up and cried out, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Now this he said about the Spirit, whom those who believed in him were to receive. For as yet the Spirit had not been given, because Jesus was not yet glorified. Jesus has to be glorified. He has to go to heaven. He has to ascend so that he can fulfill the promise to send the Spirit. So Jesus being glorified is also associated with his death, resurrection, and ascension. Jesus doesn't desert us. He sends the Spirit, His Spirit, to be with us forever. So although Jesus is gone, we're not alone. He says as much, doesn't he? If you love me, you will, this is John 14, if you love me, you will keep my commandments, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever. I will not leave you as orphans. Yeah. I will come to you. And then in John 16, verse 26, when the helper comes whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth, who proceeds from the Father, he will bear witness about me. 
Jesus said he had to go to the Father in order to send the Spirit to us from the Father. It's always the plan. That was always the intention from the beginning. His, His going is not an accident. His death isn't an accident. No, this is the plan. Death, resurrection, ascension, send the Spirit. Joel, chapter 2, verse 28, we all know this. (laughs) And it shall come to pass afterward that I will pour out my Spirit on all flesh. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, your old men shall dream dreams, and your young men shall see visions. And Peter picks that up on the day of Pentecost and he says that's happened and it's happened because Jesus has gone and ascended. Here we go. Acts 22 to 33. We're not going to read it all, just little bits. Acts 22, Acts 2, 22 to 33. Men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst. As you yourselves know, this Jesus delivered up to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. God raised him up, loosing the pangs of death, because it was not possible for him to be held by it. This Jesus God raised up, and of that we're all witnesses being therefore exalted at the right hand of God and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he has poured out this that you yourselves are seeing and hearing. It was always the plan. Jesus went back to heaven to turn on the taps. To open the floodgates. To drench us with the Spirit. That's why he's gone back, Mm. to send the Spirit. Jesus has also gone to heaven to send gifts to the church. Now, one of the things I was asked, uh, apart from how long will I preach for, and we are heading for the hour, so uh, hold on, was would I embarrass Andrew, no, Andrew, I'm not going to embarrass you. Although that is the style in this church, if you're new, is to embarrass your children in in preaching. That's right, isn't it? Yeah. Um, I thought I would embarrass Nigel instead. (laughs) (laughs) Nigel? Yes. I, I bet you don't think of yourself. In fact, I know you don't think of yourself in this way. But you are God's gift to us. You're a gift from Jesus to us. Ephesians 4, oh, we're there. Ephesians 4, 4 to 12. There is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to one hope that belongs to your call, one Lord, one faith, one baptism. One God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore it says, when he ascended on high, he led a host of captives and he gave gifts to men. Verse 11, 
And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ. So Nigel, you're a pastor. You're a gift from God. You're a gift from the Lord Jesus, the ascended Lord Jesus to us. And that won't go to your head. But that's how we see it, and that's how God's word describes it. One Thessalonians one five to six. Our gospel came to you not only in word, but also and in power and in the Holy Spirit, with full conviction. You know what kind of men we proved to be among you for your sake, and you became imitators of us and of the Lord, for you received the word in much affliction with the joy of the Holy Spirit. See, when somebody comes to preach to you, it's really important that it's not just words that they bring. It's important that they bring their life to you. And that's what the Lord Jesus has done, is he has sent apostles, prophets, pastors, teachers, evangelists to equip us. They live among us. They're gifts from the Lord Jesus. And as we seek to plant churches beyond Wrexham into Wales, we can look to the Lord Jesus to provide more. Jesus has gone so that he can sit at God's right hand in heaven. Psalm 110 gets quoted a lot in the New Testament. The Lord, that's Yahweh, the Lord says to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. Hebrews 1 says, He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature, and he upholds the universe by the word of his power. After making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. Jesus has gone to heaven. He's ascended to sit down at the right hand of God in heaven. Now, sitting down indicates a job done, isn't it? When we've been working hard, I mean, some of us actually work sitting down, so it doesn't work, but some of us... Uh, more manual people, not me included, as you can tell. Um, you sit down when you've finished the job. Sit down because it's finished. Sit down because there's nothing else to do. Jesus sits down at the right hand of God in heaven because he has finished the work of redemption. But sitting down also indicates... Uh, in this case, because he sits down at the right hand of God, it also indicates that he has authority. He's like a king sitting on a throne. He is a king sitting on a throne, ruling. Ephesians 1, verse 20, God raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion, and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. 
And he put all things under his feet and gave him as head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. How does it make you feel that Jesus has authority over everything for the sake of the church? That should make us feel very happy, (laughs) very confident. I don't know uh, if you're in a work situation, you may have a a boss. Um, It might be a very good boss. I've had some very good bosses. I've had some not so very good bosses. One of the things you can do as a last resort if you have a bad relationship with your boss, is go to his boss. Or you could say even take it to the top. Go to the managing director, the CEO. Um, Might be the last thing you do. (laughs) But we can take things right to the top because our Lord Jesus is right at the top. He's far, far above any other rule or authority. He has the highest place. He's been put there by God himself. And he sat down. Uh, Theological word, he's in session. He sat down. So if you've got a problem with somebody who has authority over you, take it to the one who has authority over them. We have the ultimate court of appeal. And we have the one whose verdict will stand. But he's not just sitting in heaven. We've already seen, haven't we, how he stands when Stephen is is dying. He actually stands. Wow. Is that how Jesus thinks about those who are about to die? He'll actually stand to welcome them. Wow. (laughs) Yeah? But we've also seen in Revelation, he walks among the churches. He's here now. This is his church. He cares for this church. He's active. He's in heaven to rule and to reign. His work of redemption is done. He can sit down from that, but he's got plenty else to do. He sustains all things. He's pouring out his spirit. He's sending gifts to the church. And he ever lives to intercede for us. Jesus has finished the work of redeeming. He has dealt with the sin of his people. So if you're one of his people and the devil is coming to you and saying, oh, you're not good enough, Look at those sins. Look at you just this morning. You, you just did it again, didn't you? Well, he's the one that's put an end to that. And he's the one who will plead your case successfully <laughs> before the Father. And he's doing that now. And this is where we want to get to. Jesus has gone to heaven to receive glory and honor. John 17 verse 5 Jesus says, "Now Father, glorify me in your own presence with the glory that I had with you before the world existed." 
Paul writes a little chorus in 1 Timothy 3. He says, He was manifested in the flesh, vindicated by the Spirit, seen by angels, proclaimed among the nations, believed on in the world, and taken up in glory. Father, glorify me in your own presence with the glory that I had with you before the world existed. What is the glory of Jesus? Well, obviously, if he had glory before the world existed, he has the glory of God, doesn't he? He has the glory of a heavenly being, but being God himself. There in the beginning, Father, Son, and Spirit, before anything was called into being, he had glory then. But I think this is a case of God answering prayers beyond what we, we ask, even for Jesus. Because there's a glory of Jesus that he has now that is, I think, greater. <laughs> because it's the theme of heaven. So what is it, this glory of Jesus? Now there was a time when Jesus was heading up to Jerusalem to die. That his disciples, they came along and asked certain things at different times. And they often didn't seem to get it at all. Uh, you remember that time when, amazingly, Je- Jesus says, who do you say I am? And Peter gets it right for the first time. You're the Christ. And you think, where did you get that from, Peter? You didn't know that ten minutes ago. And then Peter shows his true colors just a few minutes later. Jesus says, the Christ has to suffer and to die and rise again. And Peter says, no, no way. That's not going to happen to you. And uh, Jesus has to rebuke him in front of everyone and said, get behind me, Satan. You haven't got God's plans in mind, but you're thinking like a man. And there's another time when Jesus would have children come and gather, but the disciples want to know where he's way too important for children, way too important. Form an orderly queue. We're the gatekeepers here. And Jesus has to give him a big telling off then. And then there's another time. They don't seem to, to get it. Every time he's saying, look, I'm going to suffer and die. And they say, James and John this time, Mark chapter 10, they come up to him and they said to him, grant us to sit, one at your right hand and one at your left, when you come in your glory. Jesus said to them, you do not know what you're asking for. To sit at my right hand or at my left hand is not mine to grant, but it is for those for whom it's been prepared. And when the ten heard it, they were indignant at James and John. And Jesus called them to him and said to them, You know that those who are considered rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their great ones exercise authority over them, but it shall not be so among you. Whoever would be great among you must be your servant. And whoever would be first among you must be slave of all. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. How does Jesus define greatness? Greatness in the kingdom of Jesus is to be the servant, to serve others, not to seek our own position not to have accolades from other people not to be patted on the back you did a great job this morning phil not even no greatness in the kingdom 
of Jesus is to be a servant. And who is the greatest in the kingdom of Jesus? It's the one who's the servant of all. And who is that? Thieveth. Yes, it's Jesus. What did James and John think Jesus' glory was? They thought it was, we're going to go to mar- march up to Jerusalem, kick out the Romans, and then you're going to be ruling, and we'll be there on your left and your right. That wasn't what Jesus had in mind at all. Although he seemed to know there would be a left and right involved. He said, you don't know what you're asking. So let's go to Mark chapter 15. And they brought him to the place called Golgotha, which means place of a skull. And they offered him wine mixed with myrrh, but he did not take it. And they crucified him. Verse 27, and with him they crucified, what? Two robbers, where? One on his right and one on his left. James and John, you don't know what you're asking. But when I come in my glory, it's going to look like that. Greatness in the kingdom is about the one who takes the lowest place and becomes the servant of all. There's a great song by Tom Lockley that I hope we sing eventually. I will try and teach it. It's quite full on. Um, See his love nailed onto a cross, perfect and blameless, life given as sacrifice. See him there, all in the name of love, broken yet glorious, all for the sake of us. This is Jesus in his glory. King of heaven, dying for me. It is finished. He has done it. Death is beaten. Heaven beckons me. Now let's just go and look under this curtain one more time. It is over here, isn't it? Then I looked... And I heard around the throne and the living creatures and the elders and the voice of many angels numbering myriads of myriads and thousands of thousands saying with a loud voice, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. That's more than Jesus prayed for. When Jesus had spoken these words, he lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son, that the Son may glorify you, since you have given him glory over all flesh, to give eternal life to all whom you have given him. And this is eternal life that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. I glorified you on earth, having accomplished the work 
that you gave me to do. And now, Father, glorify me in your own presence with the glory that I had with you before the world existed. Okay, we're going to come into land. Apply this. The first thing we need to do is to exalt Jesus. We need to lift him up. I thought it was brilliant what happened this morning. I thought it was really brilliant what Phil said and what Steve was doing and how that helped us all. Because one of the ways you lift Jesus up is to go down on your knees. Um, When you're in the presence of the Queen, you're not supposed to have your head above her head. That's proper etiquette, okay? It's quite difficult because she's, she's very short. There is a physical posture to do with lifting Jesus up. Have this mind among you, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the form of a servant, being born in likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even the death of a cross. Therefore God has highly exalted him and given him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue, every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. If you can't call Jesus Christ Lord this morning, you just need to be warned. I'm not going to steal Nigel's thunder, but he's going to come back, and it could be really soon. There is a day when you will bow the knee to Jesus. Please make it today. Don't wait till it's too late. We need to exalt him now to lift him up. He must increase and I must decrease, is what John the Baptist said. He must increase. I must decrease. We've got to big Jesus up and we've got to do less about ourselves and our own, our own things, our own achievements. We need to, when we come together, we, we need to talk more about Jesus. We need to lift him up. He needs to be the focus. Colossians 3, 1 to 4. If you've been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above, where Christ is. Seated at the right hand of God, set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. For you've died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. It's like Jesus put it, store up for yourself treasure in heaven. It's an an investment for the future. (laughs) Because one day you are going to be lifted up too. (laughs) Spend your life now lifting up Jesus. And one day you will be lifted up too.
Put him above everything. Jesus said, No one has ascended into heaven except the one who descended from heaven, the Son of Man. And as Moses lifted up the servant in the wil- serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. Our job as Christians is to lift Jesus up before the world, to lift him up, the crucified raised, ascended Lord Jesus. Our job is to lift him up before the world, not to compromise, not to try and we think we know better than that message of the cross, the resurrection and the ascension. We don't know better. That's the best message there is. We are to lift Jesus up before the world. We're to proclaim him, exalt him in the world, in the workplace, in the family, in politics, in the arts, yes, all those things, in the church, Jesus is to be lifted up. And Jesus has said, and when I am lifted up from the earth, I will draw all people to myself. So we can expect when we lift Jesus up, that he will draw people. Okay, we're about to touch down. Just coming into land, and then we take off again with Anne, I hope. Exalt. Exalt in Jesus. Lift him up and rejoice in him. We're going to do that in just a minute. We are going to lift up Jesus in song, and we're going to rejoice in him. Paul says... Finally, it's a good place to have this, isn't it? Finally, my brothers, rejoice in the Lord. Let's not rejoice in nice music, in a nice room, in nice cool surroundings, stunning presentation. Let's not rejoice in those things. Let's rejoice in Jesus. Rejoice in the Lord. Oh, it, Paul actually goes and repeats himself. I think he got off on a tangent. He comes back. Rejoice in the Lord always. I'll say it again. Rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. If you're coming this morning with things weighing you down... Paul says, don't be anxious about those things. Rejoice in the Lord. And then something will happen. The peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Now, come on, let's exalt God together. Let's exalt our risen Lord Jesus together and let's exalt in him.